everyone. This is Chris and Sandy Benton with the Chris and Sandy Show, where we get up close and personal with some amazing rising artists. And as, and as I say with every episode, we have a great show for you today because every artist deserves that because every artist is great that we bring on. And today is no different. We've got Lance Carpenter, who's done a lot of amazing things in the music industry, and he's got some amazing songs. And we look forward to getting to know him and his story a little bit. So, Lance, are you here? I am. How's it going? Going pretty good. And yourself? I'm doing about as well as one can be doing during times like these. <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah, That's funny. You know, I told Sandy when all this coronavirus started, I was like, this is our time to shine. Because what we do is all through the phone, you know, like what we're doing here. I was like, this is our time to step it up. And like we never before. And that's what we've tried to do. Yeah, this does go well for folks that can't get face-to-face. gives them an outlet to at least get on here and talk about what's going on. And I appreciate you all giving me the time to come on and visit. Yeah, and we appreciate you coming on. And we you know, do, yes. Next year when we move to Nashville, there will be a lot of face-to-face that we'll do too. Absolutely. Yeah. Nashville's a great place, and it'll be ready to welcome you all with open arms. <laughs> How's Nashville been for you since we're talking about Nashville already? Um I usually go further in on this, but how's Nashville been for you? Nashville's been incredible. I made my first trip there back in like 2008, mm-hmm. and that was right after I had joined, about a year after I joined an association called Nashville Songwriters Association. And that mm-hmm. was back when I was writing just for fun and for therapy. I never <laughs> dreamed I would move there and make a career or even attempt to make a career out of songwriting. I was working for the federal government at the time doing disaster relief. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Wow. But every time I would go to Nashville, it was like I was surrounded by by family. Just yeah. the vibe there is incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we really get. <clears throat> I remember um, about six months ago, um, I pitched out on Facebook, we're looking for an extra podcast mic if anybody had it. Now, we're in Savannah. I'm expecting somebody in Savannah to reach out and say, hey, I've got one. Come by and pick it up. No, um, one of my Nashville buddies private messaged me, says, what's your address? I've got one. I'll mail it to you. That's incredible, yeah. My buddy, uh, Trent Jeffcoat uh from South Carolina, he told me one time, he said, Buddy Rowe, when you move to Nashville, you'll meet a lot of family you never knew you had. And that has been so true. And, you know, even without moving, even though we are not in Nashville yet, we feel that way already because Sandy and I was actually planning on moving to Florida, to Jacksonville. But we love mm-hmm. Jacksonville. We go to Jacksonville a lot. But it was like we could never create, like, real meaningful friendships. And we go there a lot. So it's not – because even at a distance, you can still create cool friendships. But we just, it just didn't seem like nothing ever clicked. And then here it is. All of a sudden I told Sandy one day, it's like, you know, maybe God's got a different plan for – like we want Florida, but maybe God's got a different plan. Because all of a sudden, I started realizing ninety percent of the people we know are in Nashville. <laughs> yep. And yeah, and yeah. we're sitting there like, and we're sitting there like, whoa! All these connections are happening in Nashville, and they're, and they're wanting us to move there. And we're like, okay, th- maybe that's where we're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's some weird magnetic field in Nashville that just kind of pulls people of a certain, uh-huh. you know, way there. 
and treat you well once you get there. I, I definitely believe that. So as we get started oh, here, yeah. tell, tell everybody um, who you are, where you're from, and a brief overview about you. Well, I am originally from Ozark, Arkansas, and uh, <laughs> grew up here on a farm hunting and fishing and playing sports. I mean, that pretty much wraps up my entire childhood and, and adolescence. Uh, <laughs> and I'm I'm now, I'm, I'm back home right now, you know, with the, the coronavirus and everything. I've got a chance to come yeah. back home and, and uh, help the family out on the farm and do some projects around here that, I, that have been, you know, neglected a little bit. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, growing up here was was awesome. I, I had a great childhood, and I didn't really pick up a guitar. I think I had some friends that played when, when I was in high school, uh, and that kind of put that bug in me. And when I went to college, I bought a pawn shop oh, wow. guitar from just a local pawn shop here in town, mm-hmm. and started learning a few chords, watching CMT, and wrote my first songs <laughs> when I was in college. And I played football for Arkansas Tech University, and. Uh, was on a scholarship there and sports used to be kind of fun for me. And now it was kind of my job in college being on scholarship. And so music kind of took over <laughs> as my, my hobby, my fun thing to do. And, uh, uh-huh. and it was just, it was good to come in from class or a tough day of practice and pick up the guitar. And even though I couldn't mm-hmm. play well or sing well at all, or write anything worth any listening, it was a great place to go. And uh, <laughs> it, it, I, I've heard Brad Paisley say, that, that the guitar is the best therapist he's ever had. And I've never had a therapist, <laughs> but if that's the case, my guitar was my therapist growing up. So probably the cheapest therapist too. Absolutely. Yeah. Until you start buying <laughs> the second and the third and the fourth. New guitar you buy, you're going to play better, but sometimes yeah, that don't and, always and at least with And at least with that therapist, you could actually make some money eventually. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it went a long ways without making money, and and then I ended up resigning. You know, I, I got a degree in college, uh, a mm-hmm. bachelor's of science in emergency administration and management, and uh, did post grad work in emergency management and homeland security operations. And I mm-hmm. went to work out of college for the state of Arkansas's Department of Emergency Management, and I worked there for about three and a half years doing a multitude of things. And then when Katrina hit, Hurricane Katrina, mm-hmm. we started working hand-in-hand with FEMA and dealing with the evacuees mm-hmm. out of New Orleans and Louisiana and South Mississippi. And about eight or nine months into that disaster, they were fixing to hire a bunch of people, came to us one day and said, we're going to hire a bunch of people to go to New Orleans. Do any of y'all that work for the state want to come down there and join the federal government? And I said, sign me up, I'm in. And that kicked oh, wow. off the start of a beautiful <laughs> career that spanned almost eight years and took me all across the country. I worked like 42 different presidential disasters. I got to brief President Bush in Texas <laughs> one day on Hurricane Ike, and it, it got oh, to wow. really see the world or see see our country, you know, and help. Mm-hmm. I got to travel and in help a, people. In a unique way. In the worst time. Yep. Because I think that's something that people don't get, you know. It's great to see our country, but to be part of something that's making a change is powerful. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, change is a hard thing to do, and it's hard to do by yourself. But mm-hmm. like when I worked for the government, we had a team of people that would go out and help. And even when we write songs, there's usually a team of us behind that song. And then when the artist records mm-hmm. it, there's a team of people behind that artist. Uh, someone told yep. me, uh, well, Sharice Boltori, she uh, 
owns a company called Global Songwriter Connection, and she told me one day, she goes, mm-hmm. when someone, when a songwriter or an artist is standing on a stage behind a podium accepting an award for song of the year or for a number one song or for entertainer of the year, there's probably been close to a thousand people that have somehow impacted their path yep. to get them to that spot. And I always think to myself and, and the day that I you know, got to stand on, on the podium and talk about my number one, mm-hmm. I just, I could just see all these people that, that had yeah. helped me and mentored me and taught me uh-huh. and you know gave me that tough love and coached me you know, throughout the years. Uh, and it's very and just humbling. so you know, and just so you know, later in the show, we'll actually have you introduce some of the, your team because that's one thing we like to do different than a lot of people is, is we know it's a team effort, and they should get some recognition too. So later in the show, you'll get to introduce a few of your team members, which will be you know, which I think every artist loves. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so, what are some hobbies right now you like to do outside of music? Because again, you know, m- music's great. It's a great passion. And you've got to be all in, of course. But sometimes you've got to have those hobbies to help keep you sane. <laughs> that is so true, so true. Uh, well, I, I always like to joke around and say I'm a carpenter by name and trade. Uh, I'm not a, like a professional contractor or anything, but I've always been mm-hmm. pretty handy. Uh, and, and I've done some renovations on houses, and I actually uh, flip houses now, Uh on, oh, wow. on the side just for fun i've got some friends that have done it you know for a long time and we've bought houses together i've helped them on houses they've bought when i'm home I, my mom's always got you know two or three projects whether it's painting something <laughs> or fixing the toilet or the dog chewed up you know the drawer in here in the bathroom can you fix mm-hmm. that or by the way can you just remodel the bathroom or the kitchen and uh, <laughs> so i've got to do a few projects <laughs> like that i love working with my hands uh, i think growing up mm-hmm. on the farm you know, when something breaks, you don't call someone to fix it, you fix it. And so a lot of times in the mm-hmm. neighborhood, we live out in the county, when something broke at, at someone's house that wasn't the, the farm, they would call us to fix it. And so I got to see <laughs> my brother and, and my stepdad. And my dad comes from a carpenter background. His dad uh, is in construction. I have uncles that own construction companies and do this full time. My dad built mm-hmm. his whole house with my uncle and my cousins. I helped with that project back years ago. And I've just always enjoyed working with my hands or working on the farm. So that's probably one of my biggest, you know, things to keep my mind focused. I love to fish. I love to hunt. I love to be in the outdoors. Uh, even like just working in a yard, landscaping. It's one of the mm-hmm. hardest things you'll ever do. But it's when you can take a project and, and you see that before picture and then you see the after picture, you know, and you mm-hmm. can see the transformation that you've done and the work that you've put in. That's always a just a satisfying feeling to me. And I've always enjoyed any work that I could do. And then once it was finished, turn around and go, man, I did that. That's probably why you like songwriting so much too, because ain't it the same way? It's like you put these pieces of different parts of life together and you create this melody that all come into one. It is. I mean, it's a, it's, it's in a way we build a song every time we walk into you know, a co-write and you never know whether it's going to start with a title or start with a line or start with a music melody. And it's, it's incredible to me that, that we walk into a room and after a few hours, we come out having created and invented something that didn't exist before we went into that room. And mm-hmm. as, as awesome of an, of a accomplishment as that is, 
the fact that that song may go out and then touch one life or 10 people or 10,000 people or millions of people, as some songs do, mm-hmm. just the fact that every day we successfully write a song gives us that chance for that song yeah. to go on and be so much bigger than anybody that was in the room that created it. Uh, you know, I think, really I think awesome. we're just kind of the conduit. I think, I think all mm-hmm. the ideas and all the, the stuff that goes into it, you know, comes from, you know, our Lord, you know, from above, from God. Mm-hmm. And Amen. I think we're just the yep. conduit that on this earth to take that message and to form it into a tangible way to, to let his word speak, you know, to someone else. Regardless of the genre, mm-hmm. you know, that's not just Christian music, that's country music, rock music, rap music, you know, the message yeah. that someone out there that needs to hear, you know, gets delivered to them through this, this art. And, uh, mm-hmm. and just to be a small part to see that happen, it, it's pretty incredible. So tell us what it was like for your first number one. And tell us about that. How did that come to be? Gosh, I mean, I still want to pinch myself, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That that will I will never forget that number one party when when all of us were up there mm-hmm. on that podium and talking and we had all of our friends surrounding <laughs> us uh, in our teams. Uh, it all started going back to one of my first trips to Nashville. I went to an mm-hmm. open mic night at the Bluebird Cafe, thinking I was gonna like just go in there and see the most amazing people. I've heard it was <laughs> the best songwriters in the world were there, and I didn't realize that on the open mic night, anybody could play that, that had, at yeah. the time you had to come one week mm-hmm. and you got a stamp on this thing and then you could come back another week and play. So I went mm-hmm. in there and it was all these, you know, amateurs open mic night and the songs, you know, weren't all that great. And I was going, Oh my <laughs> gosh, I, I, I was told wrong about this place. And then pretty soon <laughs> I figured it out. And oh, okay. I would go, <laughs> I went and saw some amazing shows, but then I would go <laughs> back once I understood and I would watch those open mics and those writers who, mm-hmm. you know, weren't great writers yet, but I wanted to find the ones that yeah. would be because there's mm-hmm. no way I could go in there and ask Rivers Rutherford or Don Schlitz or Kent Blasey to write a song with me because I saw yeah. them and they were amazing. And, oh, by the way, I write songs. So I thought I've got to start with these <laughs> people who are where I'm at or, or, you know, even though these songs yeah. aren't great, they're probably better than what I write. And on mm-hmm. one Monday night, I met a guy named Forrest Whitehead who played a song and he played the guitar real well and we became friends after that show and uh several months later i moved to town and and he moved into my house before i even moved in there and we wrote tons of songs together and uh, about i guess it was a year and a half or so into moving to nashville he got signed to a company called black river uh Mm -hmm. And then the guy that signed him or was one of the guys that signed him at Black River's dad about six months later signed me to another company. Mm-hmm. And we used to write, you know, two or three times a week during the day when no one would write with us. But when we got publishing deals, we all kind of, our publishers kept us scheduled so far out during the day, we rarely got a chance to get in the room together. And so we started just writing Monday nights at seven o'clock at one of our mm-hmm. publishing houses. We'd leave our house. Sometimes we'd write in the studio at our house. But that was a chance where our publishers weren't going to book us then, so we knew that was our yeah. time to just be together and start songs. Well, on this one particular night, we go to Black River, and they had just signed these two new writers, Josh Kerr and Kelsey. And I had mm-hmm. met them. We talked, but I didn't really know them that well. And Forrest said, hey, we don't have anything started tonight. How about we just hang out with Josh and Kelsey and just get to know them? And I said, man, that sounds like a great idea. I'll buy pizza. 
And so it started out just being, you know, four riders hanging out, eating pizza, kind of talking about each other's lives and learning about, mm-hmm. you know, Josh and his family and Kelsey being from Knoxville and her family. Uh, and the fact that she was, you know, writing and had come to town a few years ago and, you know, wanted to be an artist, but everybody said, you mm-hmm. know, there's already this girl named Taylor Swift that's kind of doing that thing. So if you could, maybe if you could, you know, learn to write songs, maybe that'd be better. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, maybe I'll just try to do a songwriting thing. Yeah. And that night we all got together. And if you put four writers in a room with pizza or without pizza, there's probably going to be a song come out of it. And. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't trying to write her something. We weren't trying to write yeah. something to pitch, really. Mm-hmm. It just, one thing led to another, and a conversation kind of turned into, well, that kind of sounds like it could be a lyric, and what if we said this, and how would you say that if we said this? And a lot of the mm-hmm. song kind of happened that way once we got on the storyline. <laughs> we'd say, well, this would be something cool to say. Kelsey, how would you say that? Oh, well, I'd say it like this. I'm like, All right, well, that works. And mm-hmm. about 12.30 in the morning, we finished the song. And uh, none of us really were jumping up and down over it. We didn't think it was life-changing. It was just we wanted it to be conversational and catchy. Yeah. And at the end of it, when we recorded the work tape, which sounds just like the demo, which sounds just like the the final product, the master that everybody heard, Mm -hmm. we all looked at each other and thought, man, that is catchy and conversational. We did good. Hey, it was fun, y'all. I'll see you later. And that's how it was written. <clears throat> that's wow. really cool and, and then it blew up that's good <laughs> yeah we uh Forrest went and did a demo of the song uh-huh. and their publisher and mm-hmm. my publisher both pitched it around it was passed on by several artists that everybody knows now because it just wasn't oh, wow. what was going on at the time and my publisher yeah. I'll never forget when he heard the demo mm-hmm. I still got the email he said uh love this vocal won't work on country radio dot 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 yet wow and he nailed it i mean it was two years later and kelsey got a record deal and they decided to put that out as a single it was on sirius xm at first and i don't even think it made like their top 30 chart at all but i remember Mm -hmm. the first time it played they surprised her she was in new york at a show uh and they came on and said, by the way, we're live on Sirius XM. And do you recognize this song? This is going to be the debut. And they played it. And I thought, well, at least I got to hear my song on the radio. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and then a few months later, they decided to put it out to, to main radio. And every week, mm-hmm. I remember it debuted at number 60 on the Billboard charts. And I've still got the printout where that happened. And I thought, <laughs> if it dies tomorrow, I made the Billboard charts. I am now a Billboard charting <laughs> songwriter. And every week, it just kind of, you know, climbed up and climbed up and made top 40 mm-hmm. and top 30. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember when it was uh, top five. And and it was just so, so crazy to watch, you know, however long it was, 30, 38 weeks maybe of her, wow. you know, climbing the charts. And, and we were all just excited, wondering, you know, when it would stop. And sure <laughs> enough, we got that call that it went number one. So, man. And I remember wow. February. I think it was February 10th of 2015, we interviewed Kelsey Ballerini. And I think at that time, if I'm not mistaken, I could be a little bit off, but if I'm not mistaken, she was number 28 with that song on the chart. I know she just broke into the top 30. I remember that. But it seems like she was 28, if I remember correctly. And 
that was just an amazing thing that you know we we got to interview her before everybody knew who she was, and then of course, as they say, the rest is history because she blew up then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't have a song that's 28 on the charts right now, but but if that, you know, me being an artist now, you know, maybe a few years from now, we'll get to say that about me too. <laughs> that would be really awesome. Yeah. So when but you no, look back Kel- on your career, Kelsey deserves you- every bit of that. You know, she's. She's an incredible person, an incredible writer, an incredible artist, and mm-hmm. I couldn't be more proud to see the trajectory of her career. And I honestly think it's just, you know, her her first album just turned five years old, and to think mm-hmm. what she's done in five years to look out five more years, mm-hmm. you know, the sky's the limit to what she's going to be able to accomplish. And, and we actually got a question later at the end of the show about a Kelsey quote that she gave me, and you'll you'll see. I think you'll love it down the road when, when we um get there. But you'll, you know, since you, I know you'd love Kelsey and all that, so you, you're going to love that the question that we asked later in the show. But awesome. as you look back on your career so far, um, <clears throat> what are some moments? Now, granted, outside of what we just talked about, because we already talked about that, but outside of what we just talked about, what are some moments where you're like, "Wow, I got to do that." Wow, um, that's a great question. I mean, I would, I would take that back to. When when those wow moments weren't even as big as they are mm-hmm. before all this, uh, yeah. When I when I was first kind of moving to Nashville, I'll never forget one of my first mentors was Brian White, the the songwriter oh, who wow. wrote "Watching You" for Rodney Atkins mm-hmm. among other great songs. And and at the time when when he was teaching an NSAI workshop, it was called "Dare to Suck." Uh, it was about if you don't play an instrument, dare to suck and play one and practice it, and then you go out there, and if you do suck, then you dare to suck it up and go home and practice some more. And that, that was big for me because I didn't play but about three or four chords when I came to Nashville, and I was not – I still am not a great player, but I can play well enough, you know, now. Uh, but he was one of those first mentors, and I remember the day I moved to Nashville, I was writing with Mason Douglas, and we go down to Tin Roof on Demumbrian, and Brian was sitting there with whoever he was writing with that day. And Mason introduced me to Brian, and Brian's like, oh, I know Lance. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been in a few of the workshops I've done. <laughs> and I would have never asked Brian to write a song because he was just, uh-huh. you know, he was the mentor and I was the mentee. It just, I didn't want to cross that line. Too much respect. And he goes, uh, he goes, so are you visiting Nashville again, Lance? And, and I said, no, actually, I, I moved here. This is my first day to physically live in Nashville. He goes, oh, man, that's great. Well, you got my number. Call me and let's set up a right now. And that was kind of one of them click moments where I'm like, oh, wow, when you move to Nashville, they take you more seriously. And they'll actually, that's because there's so many people now that visit Nashville and ask me to ride or ask me how to get these rides with these big riders. And I'm like, well, do you live here? And they're like, no, I just visit. I'm like, well, if you show that you're you're serious about doing this, then I would suggest (laughs) moving here. Because if you're trying to get oh, wow. on Brian's calendar or my calendar, that mm-hmm. means we've got to take a day out of our calendar that, that we probably have written with someone multiple times that lives here and has done this mm-hmm. every day, get on that schedule. Mm-hmm. And, and that's sometimes a hard thing to do, and they maybe think, oh, you're mm-hmm. big-timing me. And it's not that at all. That, you <laughs> yeah. know, when you put in your dues, you want to be more doors serious. open. And so when, when you take it seriously, people will take you serious. And that was my <laughs> first time – that happened face to face. It was a really cool moment. Oh wow! Uh, and and then you know, a few more. 
I, I remember yeah. submitting a song to uh, the American Songwriter Magazine Lyric Contest, and we ended up winning first place. Oh, yeah. And I won a guitar oh, wow. uh, that was a, that guitar's done a bunch of things in its life. I remember my roommate Forrest mm-hmm. didn't have a great guitar when he first moved to town, so I gave it to him and let him use it, you know, for a long time. And then our buddy Dylan Scott started touring. Mm-hmm. And now he's a huge, you know, he was with Curb Records even back then, and. He didn't have a guitar. His was broken one time. I'm like, well, take this one. And, uh, you know, and so it's that guitar has kind of been around the world. But that was a really neat thing. Uh, oh, wow. But then in the, in the writing sense and in the artist sense, you know, there's, there's certain things from the first time I got to step out onto a stage in front of 15,000 people in an arena oh, wow. and play a song of mine that was on the radio. Uh, and mm-hmm. that, my band wasn't at that show, so I had to settle uh for for this guy named toby keith and his band to be the backing (laughs) band that played our song and uh that was one of them pinch me moments when we walked out there during the rehearsal and toby's (laughs) band had learned the song and we thought toby Mm -hmm. was just going to kind of watch it was of course our song anyone else that i recorded with crystal keith Mm -hmm. toby's daughter and during the first Mm -hmm. sound you know check i wasn't paying much attention but we came back and the band said how did it sound one guy said, can we run it again? And Toby said, hold on, what chords are y'all playing in that bridge? And he was over there playing it too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know he's playing. So he was sitting there playing acoustic guitar for us. And I was like, is this real oh, wow. Like, uh-huh. he's playing while we're singing like that. And I remember that whole show after we got done with that song, just sitting on the side of the stage, watching him do his mm-hmm. thing. And just, I got that small taste of what it would be like to entertain thousands of people every night you know and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still a very small artist so usually it's just you know a hundred people or a couple hundred people you know at the mm-hmm. shows that i go through. every once in a while you might you know get 800 or a thousand you know depending on the show but there's there's yeah. a there's a energy you know when you get a crowd like that there's an energy in the air that it just pushes you from song to song to song and and it's just an incredible feeling to realize that you're entertaining these people you know, who are trying to forget about work, trying to forget about bad relationships, trying to forget about losing someone or whatever's going on in their life. And they're just there to enjoy the music and to be together and be one. Uh, that feeling is incredible. And, of course, now with, with everything going on with the virus and everybody having the mm-hmm. social distancing, it's, and, you know, it's it's tough to not have that, you know, yeah. that, that ability mm-hmm. to let that out and to be together. Because there's something when you're at a concert <clears> – <throat> Me being in the stands, you know, when I go see George Strait or Garth or the Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. anybody, you look at people and they're all there for a million different reasons. And they love each yep. song for me. I was talking to Garth one day, uh, not to name drop his name, but this was an honest conversation we had. And I said, <laughs> what is it? What gets you inspired every time that you go out there to perform? And he says, when I'm out there singing my songs, he goes, these songs, when I first heard them or first recorded them, they hit me for a mm-hmm. reason. And every night I go out there and I sing these songs for that reason. And wow. in the audience, there's 10,000 mm-hmm. people singing the songs back to me for 10,000 different reasons. Mm-hmm. And he said that's wow. power that you just never will understand. And that gives you an adrenaline rush like you will <coughs> never understand. And uh, okay. so I'll now, especially at a Garth concert, when I go see him, I've probably seen him mm-hmm. five or six times now. When I'm, I'll pick one song and I will turn my back to the stage and I will just focus mm-hmm. on people. In the same song, you'll see people dancing, you'll see people sitting down, Mm -hmm. you'll see people laughing, you'll see Mm -hmm. them crying, 
You'll see them with their hands <laughs> in the air. You'll see all these mm-hmm. different emotions going on. And it's the same song. It's the same words. And it's just amazing how yeah. the same words and the melody can hit people in different ways and mean so much different things. So when you're on stage and you know that that's happening out there, it's incredible. That, I love the way you just told that. <clears throat> Never heard it put that way <clears throat> of what Garth said, but that is really on point, though. It's so on point. Now, one thing I like to do in the show is flip the script. Um, you know, a lot of people, they talk about the highs, the glory, the greatness of music, other way. They don't, you know, they don't talk about the grind, the, 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 um, the hard parts, the struggles, the sacrifices. I like to go both sides because I think that people need to hear the truth, the rawness, what it takes to make it as an artist. So I'm going to tell a story that will lead us into this part of where I want this to go. <clears throat> Back in 2000, and I think you'll like this because you kind of made a comment almost to this degree a little bit ago about people needing to move to Nashville. It made me think of this story. But back in 2014, we interviewed Allison Steele from Two Steel Girls, and, one, and that was when her and her daughter were full-time with music. And one of the questions I asked her was, what advice would you give an up-and-coming artist? And she said, coming from someone full-time, this is going to sound funny. But if your heart will allow you to do anything outside of music, go do that and keep music as a hobby. Because once you, once you go to the route of it being a career, even though it's still your passion, it's now your job. So he goes, you, you have to make sacrifices. You have to make sacrifices for your body. You have to make sacrifices for your sleep. You have to eat different. You have to sleep different. You have to have a whole new lifestyle um, to stay on stage for four hours. You have to sacrifice your time. You have to sacrifice um, events. You have to sacrifice so much. Your family has to sacrifice too. It's not just you. She says, but if your heart – and she also added that, and you could have a, the worst day today, but if you've got a gig tonight, you've got to get on that stage and smile like nothing bad happened today because that's what the audience wants. The audience wants, wants you to help them mask over their issues right now they they want that hour the two hours where they can just leave the world and she goes you have to get up there and you have to help them do that as an artist she goes but if your heart will not allow you to do anything outside of music then go all in because that's the only way that those type of sacrifices will ever be worth it and what do you so what do you what do you think about what she said? And let's go there a little bit. And I, I like what you said earlier about songwriting. If, if you're serious, you're going to move. I love that. I kind of think that's all in. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, she, she's, she's spot on with what she was saying. There's a, there's a picture on the internet that floats around that I'm sure you've seen your listeners have seen of an iceberg with just a little bitty tip of it out of the water. And that little tip mm-hmm. above it says success. Mm-hmm. And then below it, it says hard work, sacrifice, <laughs> failure, oh, you know, right. all these heartbreak. And it's this huge mm-hmm. piece of ice under the water. And that's the mm-hmm. part that no one sees. And, and that, yeah. you know, she hit it right on yeah. whether the artist career and the songwriter career is a little different in that the artist does have a lot more sacrifices in that they are in the public eye. Yeah. Everything they do can be scrutinized or twisted, uh, especially once you become a successful artist. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, as as we all know, once you make it to, to the king of the hill, you know everybody's throwing rocks <laughs> at you to try to knock you down and take your spot. <laughs> yep. Uh, 
One thing yeah. I do love before I transition over to this about the country music industry uh, mm-hmm. is that it is one of the only careers in the world where the people you try to compete against and beat every day are the same people you try to help and help them succeed <laughs> and pull them up mm-hmm. with you. That, that's that's yeah. something that I've always you know loved about the country music community. You know, as soon as you get a number one, yeah. you don't try to stay there. Now, what can I do to get you a number one? How can I introduce you yeah. to someone to get you this opportunity? You know, that's great. Mm-hmm. But but it is definitely you know something to where I've heard a few people say, and I've given this advice too to a songwriter. I don't mm-hmm. know whether to move to Nashville. I don't know, you know, should I go to college? is there something else I should do? And I've had some parents mm-hmm. and young writers say, what What should I tell my child to do? And one yeah. question I will ask the kid, the writer, is there anything else, if you could snap your fingers and you could be a scientist, you could be an astronaut, you could be a professional ball player, you could be a, you know, an attorney, a lawyer, a business owner, if, if you could snap your fingers, if there's anything else in, in the world other than a songwriter you'd want to be, what would you want to be? And if they say anything, I mm-hmm. say, go do that. Because songwriting will always be here. Mm-hmm. But if you yeah. have something in your heart that's said, if I could do it, I would want to do this, then you're never going to give 100% to being a songwriter. And yeah. even if you move to town and don't give 100% to being a songwriter, you're you're probably not going to find the success that you think you're going to find. Because it is a very, mm-hmm. very tough, just, I mean through the trenches kind of town. I mean, and it's yeah. one of them because it's, mm-hmm. it's such a learning curve. You may think you write great songs until you come to town and you go to the Bluebird on the <laughs> night when you've got, you know, the Rivers Rutherfords and, and the Don Henrys and, you know, mm-hmm. Angela Cassett's and, and nowadays the Shane McAnally's, the Josh Osborne's, the, you know, those folks, you just think you write good songs. You know, they could, <laughs> you know, take the day off and write a song that's better than, most people could write on their best day. Uh, mm-hmm. But but it is, on the artist side, a, a big sacrifice of having to, yeah. you know, basically your your life is not your own anymore. Your life, you know, is in the public eye. You have a team mm-hmm. around you telling you how you have to dress, when you got to take pictures, if you need to lose a little weight because the pictures don't look as great, or if you have, you know, the, the confidence and the conviction to say, well, this is who I am, so this is what I'm going to look like. And then we find a way to make that be the story, to make that be the narrative. You know, there's ways around it. Yeah. I would never tell anybody they have to be, you know, 6'2", 200 pounds to be an artist, you know. Yeah. If the talent's there <laughs> mm-hmm. and the fan base is there, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter. And it shouldn't matter, you know. Yeah. If, yeah. if the talent's there, yeah. that's all that should matter. Uh, but, yeah, on the writer's side, you know, one of my big, like, moments that went from top of the hill to rolled all the way down to the bottom uh, was in mm-hmm. January of 2012 when uh, Dylan Scott got the, the thumbs up to do his first album with Curb Records. Mm-hmm. And me and Forrest had mm-hmm. written this song called Bama Blue Waves on a writer's retreat in Gatlinburg. We were in the mountains mm-hmm. writing a song about the ocean. I still can't figure that one out. But uh, <laughs> And Dylan had heard it hanging out at our house. He goes, man, I want to record that. And so we said, all right, cool. And one night, me and Forrest went to eat at Cinco de Mayo uh, in Cummins Station, which is where the old listening room cafe was. And uh, Dylan called, and he goes, hey, where y'all at? And he drove to where we were and we sat out in his, his Hummer on, on the street. And he goes, I want y'all to hear this. We just got the master back on the cut. 
and we listened to our Ooh. song. And uh, oh, wow. he said, it's going to be on the first album. And he goes, by the way, I cut another song of y'all's uh, that we didn't even know he was really going to cut. Uh, or oh, Forrest wow. might have. I may not have, but uh, it was a song called yeah. I Want You, and he had recorded it. Uh, but just that night hearing Bama Blue Waves and him saying it's going to be on this album, and then a few weeks later, Curb decided not to release the album. They oh, just wow. thought it wasn't ready. They weren't uh-huh. ready to put him out yet. And so all of a sudden, I went to moving to Nashville, and within 12 months, not even having a publishing deal, but having my first major cut, which was incredible, mm-hmm. you know, to me. And mm-hmm. then just a few weeks later, that bubble popping, oh, by the way, it's not going to make the record, so no one's wow. going to ever know you had that cut. Uh, so that was my first two cuts that way. Uh, that, that's, wow. that's a hard pill to swallow uh, mm-hmm. when, when you think. And I love your telling that because I think people don't realize out there what it really takes to be a professional artist and songwriter. Because, again, y- y'all have rejections just like everybody else in whatever careers they are. And sometimes you think that you've got this great thing going, and then it gets, the rug gets pulled out. Yeah, that that happens a lot, and it happens, you know, when when you sign your first publishing deal. Uh, my mm-hmm. publisher, you know, had been around, you know, he, he was such a respected man in, in Nashville. Uh, his name's Jeff Carlton, and uh, we lost him last year uh, to a battle mm-hmm. uh, with cancer. It's a long wow. battle that he had, but uh, he he when he signed me, I'll never forget, it was mm-hmm. one of our first meetings. He goes, well, Lance. You know, congratulations! You got a publishing deal. Now you've got one to lose. <laughs> he, he said, "Very few people sign the publishing deal and end up staying there for a long time." And uh, oh, wow. it was it was about four months into the deal when I got a call from another guy saying, "Hey, our company is being bought by another company. We don't know if they're going to take any of the writers with them or not." So here I was, ready to start this ten-year career with this amazing company, and four months into it it's getting bought by someone else and we may all be out of a publishing deal. Uh, luckily as it would happen, the company that bought us was a publisher that I had built a relationship with in years past. And so when Mm -hmm. he came to look at the roster of writers, he saw my name and he goes, Oh my gosh, that's Lance. You know, I'm glad he's in this company. And he called me and goes, we would love to bring you over with the company. And so that previous relationship that I had, you know, met with him every time I was in Nashville or every three to four months and playing songs and he'd listen to them and they weren't that good. And I wasn't good enough to sign to a deal. I could have easily after a few of those meetings go, well, that guy don't like me. I'm not going to play him any more songs. Forget him. Mm-hmm. But he was a great yeah. man and a great song guy. And I enjoyed just hanging out with him and building that one-on-one relationship. And so I did that over a period of several months uh, and years probably. And then when this opportunity came and he saw my name on that roster, he said, I want him to be on our team. And that started seven years that me and him worked together before that company then was bought by another company. And after a little time there, I decided to to part ways uh, with them. So I'm writing on my own right now, but I'll eventually probably sign another deal. But that first time that you realize you've had a deal for so long and, and then now you're without a deal, and you're booking your own stuff and you're paying for your own demos mm-hmm. and you don't have a, a cool room on music row to go right in. You know, it's almost like you lost a job and you did, you know, you lose your income, you know, from, from the advancement that you get. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, there's, there's definitely ups and downs in the music business and town is full of such amazing people that 
the highs are higher and the lows are lower than <laughs> I think typical, you know, jobs, you know, yeah. throughout the country, you know, have. And, and, and you know, when, when you're talking about that whole story, I love that because, you know, I've always heard an old saying, which, which I tweak this saying, I've always heard the saying that it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I kind of still disagree with that to a degree. Here's my way of saying it. It's not who you know. It's not necessarily – I mean it's not what you know. It's not necessarily who you know, but it's who knows you. And see, because he knew you, you were still stayed over there. Yeah, I've I've got a very similar thought. I've I've heard that similar as well. Uh, it's not what you know. It's who you know. My my third leg of that. It's not what you know. It's who you know. But it's what they know about you or how they perceive you. <laughs> it, That's so, a good one too. You know, I, I I can't remember exactly how I'd say it, but it's basically exactly <laughs> what you said. So. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's that uh, and, and that shows that it's net, you know, because Nashville really, from what we've heard and talked with a lot of people, Nashville is networking, 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 networking. Period. <laughs> Absolutely. One of my first mentors too uh, is a, a gentleman from Arkansas uh, named Brent Baxter. Mm-hmm. He wrote uh, mm-hmm. a little song called "Monday Morning Church" for Alan Jackson. And uh, oh, wow. and for those folks listening, he is just a lyric writer. All he does is lyrics. Oh, he does wow. not play an instrument, and he does not mm-hmm. sing. And trust me, you're thankful that you you don't hear him sing. Uh, but he's a great <laughs> man, and, and, and he does uh, you know songwriting tips online, and he mentors people. Oh wow! Uh, and he he I met with mm-hmm. him uh, for coffee after that. He was in one of the the song camps I did with NSAI, and after it was over, I said, "Can I buy you a cup of coffee or breakfast one morning and just pick your brain mm-hmm. for about?" 45 minutes to an hour and and uh we were sitting at fido's in nashville and i was asking him about you know when i come to town how do i approach people and what's the best way to kind of say hey mm-hmm. i'm new to town but not not look and not act new to town and yeah. he gave me this really cool piece mm-hmm. of advice he said if if nashville outlawed outlawed songwriting for 10 years there's so many songs in this town already they could fill up album after album after album with great yeah. songs that have never been recorded. Mm-hmm. So he said, if you meet someone in the music business, whether it's a writer or someone in the business side of it, he goes, the mm-hmm. last thing you need to say is, hey, can I play you one of my songs? Mm-hmm. He goes, one of the first things you should do is try to become friends with them. Mm-hmm. He goes, because no one in this town needs a song, but everybody in the music business could use a friend. And he wow. said, if you build that. that relationship that way and you become friends, eventually they will <laughs> say, hey, why haven't you played me a song? <laughs> and the song you play that day mm-hmm. will be a lot better than the one you had the day you met. And they'll also be listening to it, hoping that it's great, not going, oh, my God, i got to hear a song. So mm-hmm. relationships and networking is so important <clears throat> in Nashville because people want to see you succeed. They want yeah. to have that story years yeah. from now. Yeah, I was one of the first people that met with that writer, and man, I could tell from the mm-hmm. get go that they were professional and they knew what they were doing. And man, we had a good, you know, good relationship. And he didn't even ask me to write. He waited two years, you know, and then finally I had to ask him, and we wrote this song. And man, look at him now. They just oh, got wow. a Grammy. 
You know, you, you everybody right. loves those stories in Nashville. One of my favorite things is the stories behind the song series uh, where you yeah. hear about how a song's written, and usually those songs go way deeper than that. It's how the writers mm-hmm. met or how the writers met that artist. And, you know, some of them, you know, start off where, well, I didn't really like the artist at first, and we didn't get along at all. We hated <laughs> each other. But then eventually, you know, we realized we wrote good songs together, and it came out. You know, or, you know, there's a million different stories, but the relationship in Nashville is so important. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and true, another side of that is, you know, if I only have the one number one song ever, or if I write 25 mm-hmm. more, yeah. there isn't, even though I haven't written those, there wouldn't be one of those songs that would be more important to me than the friendships and the relationships I made yeah. creating that song. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. You know, take the awards away, take the money away, take the, you know, the the plaques away that say platinum or number one, take the, the parties away. You know, I'll go, you know, I I enjoy a, a night eating dinner with Josh, Forrester, Kelsey, and just catching up on life mm. way more than I ever will looking at one of those plaques on the wall. Yeah. And that is really awesome. And I love what you said about the lyric right because Sandy, you you gave you probably gave Sandy and I a little hope because we've yes. written over three hundred sets of lyrics ourselves. Well, that's just something we mm-hmm. like to do together and all that. And she's been this big person to do that for years, and I just became that part with her. Um, so you kind of mm-hmm. gave us a little hope in that area too. Anyway. <laughs> yes, we can't sing, but but we love to write lyrics. So. <laughs> Well, there's also a lot of singer-songwriters in Nashville that can't sing or play guitar, but they do anyways, and some of those songs get recorded as well. We're about to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to come back and play your song great again. And again, great song. Love, love the song. Oh, I think for this yes. time, this song is needed out there. But we're going to... Take a quick break, play the song, and we're going to come back and talk about some of that music on that. How's that sound? That sounds great to me. Thank you. Hey, everyone. We have partnered with another great podcast called the Sports Guys Podcast. You can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. The Sports Guys Podcast is a sports and country music podcast hosted by Brandon, Nick, and Andy. They cover sports on a state, regional, and national level with many of the biggest names in the sports industry. The Sports Guys also host a Backstage Pass music segment where they go behind the scenes and talk with some of the biggest artists in country music, everything from Texas country, Americana, as well as Nashville artists. The Backstage Pass provides a more in-depth look at the musicians' rise in music as they talk about their career and tell stories about their music to share with their fans. Many of the same guests will be appearing on our show as well. Again, you can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. It's a grand slam of sports and music. Please go over and check them out. Pole in the 
hands of a kid Teach him how to swing a baseball bat God is good and smoking's bad If you really want to make America great again I was raised off a rural route Small town, small house Daddy got up and busted his butt till sundown Mama made sure we got to school on time Waited tables for dollars and dimes We didn't have much but plenty of love to go around There's what it's all about If you really want to make America great again Hang a white wall tire in the shade of an oak tree limb Cut your neighbor's grass on a sunny day When you pass a stranger, smile and wave If you really want to make America great again I think it was 2016, 2017 area where I was wanting to put out a patriotic project. I had written some songs yeah. to kind of fit that world. Mm-hmm. And, and it was before I'd signed a record deal with Toby Keith. And I just knew that I, I needed more content out to fans because I was touring a bunch. And my plan that year was to put out like three or four maybe different EPs that kind of touched along the different aspects of my artistry. One of them was going to be just straight mm-hmm. up country, a little redneck, maybe yeah. kind of hillbilly. I'm a hillbilly. <laughs> That's my high school mascot. But, uh, 
One of them was going to be patriotic <laughs> and about, you know, America and the soldiers. One was kind of going to be kind of college driven kind of, you know, party in that way. And then I was going to put out a Christian mm-hmm. project that was more Christian country right. and just kind of show yeah. kind of four different angles of yeah. things. And, uh, when I was doing the patriotic project, I, I needed one more song to kind of fill out a session. And so I'd sent yeah. an email out uh, and texted a few of my songwriter buddies in town. I said, Hey, if you got anything that you think would fit, you know, here's my pitch email address, send it to me. And, uh, Justin Wilson sent me this song and I listened to it that night. And instantly I thought, man, I wish I'd written this thing. It just every line in it just spoke to me in my childhood. It took me home fishing on the ponds mm-hmm. here and, and on the riverbanks, you know, down in the bottoms. And, you know, my dad mm-hmm. did, you know, he, he, you know, worked, it seems like 12 hours a day, you know, whether it was on the farm or, you know, doing stuff in houses or his job. And uh, my mom was a school teacher. She didn't, she, that was mm-hmm. the one line. She didn't wait tables for dollars and dimes. She was a school teacher for 33 years. She always made <laughs> yeah. sure me and my little sister got to school on time. And, and uh, it just, it reminded me of everything good that, that America stands for. And uh, yeah. there's been, you know, some questions, well, is it politically driven? You know, cause president Trump says yeah. make America great again. And, <laughs> you know, I never asked them if that's why it was written. Uh, but it's definitely one of those things that regardless of why it was written, I wanted to say it as an artist because I think that's the kind of message that America needs to hear. You know, we all get caught up in our nine to five and in the rat race and trying to keep up with the Joneses that we forget how powerful it is to put a fishing pole in a kid's hand and watch him smile reeling in that first, fish and even if it's three inches long <laughs> a little crappie or something and it, it, it just it just made me feel it made me feel right and it made me feel proud yeah. about this country and so when all this started happening in our country this year I didn't have any plans to put it out but I had already recorded yeah. it and I sent it to my manager and I said what if we just put this out we do zero promotion on it except for maybe a mm-hmm. few days before it kind of tell hey we're going to put a new song out make the fans think what song we haven't even, we didn't know you were recording anything. And, uh, so that's why, I, that's why I put it out. And, uh, oh, wow. Bryce and Justin are just incredible, incredible writers. Uh, I think Justin's from Georgia and Bryce, I believe is from mm-hmm. Kentucky and they're both just, I oh, mean, yeah. honest country boys and they've written great songs. I mean, Bryce has written things, you know, like, Heartache on the dance floor for John Party and mm-hmm. anything goes for Andy Hauser and oh, wow. uh, Justin Justin wow. Wilson has has written songs uh for people from uh gosh, Parmalee and he wrote Drunk mm-hmm. Me for Mitchell Tenpenny and he wrote mm-hmm. uh songs for Blake Shelton, he wrote Kiss You in the Morning for Michael Ray, mm-hmm. We Went by yeah. Randy Hauser. And Justin is an incredible artist in his own right. Uh, and singer if you ever get a chance to hear Justin Wilson sing you'll never forget it mm-hmm. so just to to be able as an artist you know as a songwriter I love writing songs and putting out my own songs uh, there, yeah. there's there's little there's little that's more satisfying than writing something as a writer putting it out as an artist and having the fans connect to it and knowing that you were there you know the whole way but yeah it's mm-hmm. now that I now being a writer, probably first more than an artist. When I hear a great song, 
and I get the opportunity to be the artist that gets to take that story mm-hmm. to people, then that is something that I hold as a dear responsibility as well to be a good steward of that song for those songwriters. Uh, yeah. And both of them reached out, was very happy with the way it sounded, and <laughs> was very happy, you know, how it turned out. So it's definitely, a, you know, whether you want to take it as a political thing or not, as a listener, you because it fits both sides. If someone wants to argue, yeah. well, we're pro-Trump, and yes, these are all the things that will make America great again, and, you know, Trump 2020. Or if someone wants to go, well, he says that, but this is, well, if you really want to make it great again and don't do what he's doing, then this. And so it's kind of, it kind of is a double-edged sword <laughs> in that area. And someone yeah, pointed that out to me. That, that was not me yeah. coming up with that on my own. Someone pointed that out and said, well, it would work either way. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not really a sit-on-top-of-the-fence kind of guy. I'm usually a jump-off-one-side-or-the-other. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> music, I'm not going to argue someone's opinion. If they want to take it and it make them feel one thing, I'm going to let it, yep. you know, be what it is to them. Mm-hmm. I had, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. One time, a girlfriend mm-hmm. of mine was in the truck and we just got through eating dinner and we get back to the house and I had just put out this project called Mustang. And she said, will you play that set or no, it wasn't, was, I don't, it wasn't even, maybe it wasn't Mustang. It was another project I did. <laughs> it might've been my behind this guitar. Anyway, I had a, a project out and she goes, play that sad song on your project. And I said, which sad song there's not a sad song on it and uh she said yeah that that one about all those things in the life that you put there and i'm like oh the song you put it there uh and it was a song i wrote uh with uh forrest whitehead and uh lee thomas miller who he wrote huge songs for you and i go that song is not sad it talks about all these great things this girl put in this guy's life i said some of them were like a dent in the truck but he still thought it was the cutest thing in the world how in the world could that be a sad song? And she goes, well, what if you were the girl that used to put those things in the life of that person? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this sounds like it's opening up some weird box. But, but that the way she took that song is it reminded her of an old relationship where mm-hmm. she had left and she no longer mm-hmm. did that. And uh, yeah. it was just interesting that that really opened my mind to see how a listener can take a song and translate it into what they need it for, even though that was nowhere exactly. near what it was written or meant for. Yeah. So now when someone yeah. takes one of my songs into a way left or a way right direction, you know, I say run with it, you know, let the song be what it needs <laughs> to be for you. I'm not going to say, no, this is what it means. So, mm-hmm. but this mm-hmm. one's just that pretty honest. Really, Every line in it, that is, you know, is pretty honest. And I love honest really songs. Awesome. So, um, as you know, like we talked about earlier, um, that people don't get to see, like, the PR people, the production people. But without them, you can't do what you do. It take, like, I, I remember a recent quote that I heard that Justin Bieber said that when he was just beginning, what, it, what took six of his family members to do takes 300 people now to do. <laughs> and I, I've always remembered that quote when people told me that. And because again, what y'all do takes a team of people and people don't get that. And so I always like to allow a few minutes for the artists to really talk about a few of their team members that kind of help them do what they do. So if you want to, you know, just talk about a few of the people that help you do what you do. Absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about uh, past and present. Uh, 
uh, I, I spoke a little bit on the the guy that signed me to my first publishing deal, Jeff Carlton. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of my my first champions and my first mentors to really take me under his wing and to mm-hmm. uh, dissect my songs and the way I wrote my songs and to highlight the pieces of how I wrote to do those more often and the things that I did that weren't so good, just kind of, you know, leave them over here in the corner. Uh, and, and he really helped me build that. And there were some songwriters mm-hmm. even before him that got me to the point to where when I did play him songs, they were good enough to make him listen. And those would be writers like Steve Seskin and Kent Blazy, uh, mentors like Brent Baxter and Brian White, uh, are, are, are some of the folks early on that were really just great mentors and great teachers. I'll never forget the first time I heard the the album Man Like Me by Bobby Pinson, who is was an incredible artist and he's an incredible songwriter, has written tons of songs. Mm-hmm. It was one of those albums where it's almost like if you're writing a song and you got a shovel in your hand, and you kind of get the grass off, and you maybe get a couple layers of the topsoil with it. You know, I thought, well, I'm I'm writing a pretty deep song, and then you listen to a Bobby Pinson song, and you realize the hole is ten or twelve foot deep in the ground, and you're like, oh my gosh, he went there. And I loved writing real songs, but after listening to a man like me, I really realized what writing real and honest, raw lyrics meant, and that made me fight every one of my own songs to make it better to match up to that. And I don't know if I've ever matched it, but it definitely is a driving force behind my writing. Uh, So Mm -hmm. any songwriter that's out there listening, if you have not listened to that album, go buy it, listen to it from top to bottom. And I guarantee you after listening to it, you'll just kind of sit back and go, Holy crap. That dude is a great songwriter. And hopefully it'll help you a little more. So th- those were some of my early ones. Uh, of course, with NSAI, yeah. uh, Sharice Boltori was was huge uh, as far as early on inspiring me, uh, educating me, you know, empowering me to be the best songwriter I can. Bart Herbison, who is the the director of NSAI, has always been you know one of my champions. Uh, Cassandra Tormez mm-hmm. was one early on as well that just kind of just gave me that 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 push but then when i started building the team uh my first team member was my my attorney uh and that was austin adams and uh love that guy uh he he's (laughs) he he can be the most amazing nice go out and grab a beer (laughs) catch up or when it comes time to contract time he can be you know a pit bull (laughs) if he needs to be uh but he always got the job done and at the end of the day you know i've I was referred to him by another writer and I've referred him to many other writers and he's been a part of many contracts on the writer side and the artist side of many friends of mine throughout the last 10 years, 12 years. Uh, and he was Mm -hmm. really my first team member, uh, that, that brought on. And, uh, when I signed my first publishing deal, uh, on the, on the, on the artist side, my, my manager who has been with me, uh, you know, basically from, from day one has been the only manager I've ever had uh, is Mandy Dixon. And, uh, she is from Florida and she used to uh, manage a, a group called trailer choir who big Vinny and butter became dear friends of mine. And, and, uh, and she kind of discovered me through playing with them at different shows. Mm-hmm. 
asked me one day who who my manager was and I said I don't have one and she goes I think I might be interested in being your manager and I'm like all right cool let's talk <laughs> and uh she's kind of been there uh pretty much along my whole artist ride you know when when things mm-hmm. started kicking off uh and uh I, I I would be remiss if even though I don't give her too much work right now uh my banker uh Carrie Barnhart uh up at Regions has been just an incredible friend and uh, has 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 been there, you know, making sure that everything's set up for if and when we really get to get back out on the road and start making some money. I'll I'll I'll, you know, give her something to do hopefully. But she's been a great partner uh, <laughs> on that thing. Uh, on the PR side, uh, before before my manager came along, I had done some mm-hmm. uh, some independent stuff uh, with a, a few different publish uh, pub- publishings. Ugh, I can't even talk. PR firms in Nashville. Uh, PLA was one of the first ones that I worked with uh, during like a CMA fest where they set up a bunch of interviews mm-hmm. and things like that to go along with my shows. And uh, they, they were great to work with. I've done some stuff with Aristo Media. Uh, mm-hmm. And then once we signed with Toby Keith, uh, we basically kind of inherited a, a sweet, sweet lady named Elaine Shock. Uh, who is uh, Toby Keith's publicist and has been Willie Nelson's lifelong publicist. And uh, it was just incredible to to be able to be around her and hear some stories, you know, when those mm-hmm. careers were starting out and to see yeah. where they are now and how, how, how PR has changed over the last 30 years. And, uh, and she was just, you know, a blessing to be around and, and just, she was a, you know, take no prisoners, get the job done here's what we're going to say and how we're going to say it. And, and she knew her stuff and it was great. Uh, so I got to work with her a little bit. Uh, Tiffany Bearden, who I work with now on the PR side. And uh, we have just done a few small projects together and I've, you know, got to hang out with her and, and get to know her a little bit over the last year or so. Uh, but I've enjoyed working with her. So it's been great. Uh, on the, on the social media side, uh, I've really never had anybody help me out until I joined you know, the show dog label. And, uh, a friend of mine, uh, became my, my social media guru. Her name's Amanda Quentin. And, uh, when, when, when that all happened, it was kind of funny because the place that we ate pizza the night we wrote, love me like you mean, it was a place called soul shine pizza in Nashville. Well, Amanda was one of the waitresses at soul shine when we first met. And, uh, so we had that relationship going back a long ways and I didn't even realize she was doing PR work, but she got to do a lot of work on my website and, and on my merch and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, she's been kind of our, our guru to go to when we had website issues or social media posts and how to, you know, when we put a song out, how to get it on Spotify playlists and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, big, big thanks to them for, for helping us out there. Uh, so that I think I'm trying to think I'm probably forgetting a million people from photographers to, you know, when we did yeah. photo shoots, I even had a stylist one time that, you know, figured out which britches look best on me uh, and which <laughs> cowboy hat to wear at the time. Uh, so, but, uh, but now those are, those are the ones that have kind of been there, you know, from the beginning and, and continue on now. Uh, I've had some interns yeah. from Belmont work for me. Uh mm-hmm which is which has been great um one of which even went on to sign a record deal uh ben gallagher uh from from pennsylvania he was a 
Belmont freshman, I think, when I first met him in his senior year. He, he uh, kind of interned for me and it taught me about analytics on social media mm-hmm. and things like that and did a whole portfolio and, and went on to get signed by Sony Records. And so he's been out on the road wow. with a bunch of people here recently. He's a phenomenal guitar player, great songwriter, good old country mm-hmm. boy from from uh, Pennsylvania. So it's it's been – it's been a neat ride. I mean, I'm I'm sure I could list a hundred more people that have somehow, yeah. you know, affected what I've done. But uh, but those are are some of the folks that I really appreciate. Yeah. Uh, appreciate and, uh, <coughs> Glazer's uh, guitar repair for fixing my guitars every time I break them or bust them, and then uh, <laughs> oh Greg Glazer over at Guitar Center for giving me good discounts on all my my gear that I buy. <laughs> <laughs> that is really awesome. And, you know, I can tell that your team members have really become family. And what I like about that is, you know, we're a family show, and we kind of have a third team member. And we always bring our eight-year-old on to ask one question, you know, to every awesome. artist. And he loves it. And, and we got a one-year-old that yes. when she gets old enough, we'll plug her in, too. <laughs> That's incredible. So, so having him go to his mommy so, so that she can get him on the phone. But, yeah, What's his we're name? a family show. Christopher, so he's little Chris. Hello, Christopher. <laughs> see, I'm looking forward to your question. Let's see it. Okay, here's Christopher. Hi, Nance. What's your favorite food? Hello, Christopher. Thank you for the question. That's a great question. The first thing that always pops into my mind when someone asks about food is pizza. I've always loved pizza, mm-hmm. but I will <laughs> extend that to I also love Mexican food and chicken nuggets. <laughs> mm. What's yours though, Chris? Pizza. Pizza. Well, me and you share that. Now, what's the favorite topping of pizza that you like? A pepperoni. Pepperoni. I'm a sausage and mushroom guy. Can you imagine that? <laughs> <laughs> but pepperoni's pretty good too. Yes. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Christopher. <coughs> he comes and goes, but he loves That's awesome. that part. That's something I've been taught through the years is that, you know, when you have kids, if you want to inspire purpose and passion into your kids, then they need to see you living out yours because they got a front row seat to your life. That's very true. That's very true. I've always thought that show and tell uh, in school was a very powerful thing because it's one thing for them to observe something. It's another thing for them to observe it, to absorb it, and then to regurgitate it basically. Uh, yep. to, to, so for them to be able to see what you do But then to be able to participate You know in what you do That's incredible So I love that yep. <laughs> So if you could co-write with anyone Dead or alive Who would it be And what would you want to write about Oh my goodness I could. There's about 10 people that come to my mind instantly uh, <laughs> But to come up with one Wow I've never been good at the whole If you could just pick one thing yeah, uh, I've always, you <laughs> yeah. know, that, that's been tough for me. But one of the first yeah. things that came to mind was Johnny Cash, you know. Wow. I thought of him yeah. a lot, too. You know, mm-hmm. being from Arkansas and just the the, the icon of country music that, that he mm-hmm. was and is and will always be, you know, he, he's just one of those incredible stories, you know, that, that will live on years and years mm-hmm. past many of us. And, to be able to just sit down in a room with him and and 
write a song, whether or not it ever was, you know, recorded or released, would be <laughs> one of those moments that would be yeah. incredible. Uh, what would be your one of the other things? If, that, if you had one that, question, what would you ask him? If I could ask Johnny Cash one question, yeah. What would be your uh, first question? Well, let's see. We've only got an hour on this show, but let me think here real quick. <laughs> I would probably well, don't worry about the hour because we're already past the hour. All right. Oh yeah, uh, we got plenty of that. <laughs> I've, I've, well, I've I've always wanted to. I think a, a sign of intelligence is asking intelligent questions, and one of my favorite <laughs> questions to ask anybody now, when I get the opportunity mm-hmm. to, is, "What is the best piece of advice you were ever given, followed, mm-hmm. and how did that turn out? And oh, what is the that. best piece of advice you ever ignored?" And how did that turn huh. out? Oh, wow. So that that's I kind of my that. go-to question if I ever got the opportunity to sit down with someone <laughs> that, that's in that really situation. Good. Now, if um, I'm about to ask a question, I'm, and I have a purpose for the way I ask this question, and I'll tell you why I ask it this way in just a second. But if you had a magic wand and what you're about to say would 100% come true, where do you want to be in five years? And the reason I ask that question is because that's one of the questions we asked Kelsey Ballerini five years ago this past February. And the answer she gave us, and I say this on every episode. I use her as an example. The answer she gave us is to the T of what she's living right now. And I like to always bring up that story because sometimes as artists, um, artists will get, you know, they're like, well, I just want to play music. You know, sometimes they want to try to be the humility one and say, you know, I just want to play music. I want the raw answer that's that's in their heart. And I think sometimes I can bring up that, hey, this is what Kelsey said. We asked her that five years later, and she's living the life that she said she wanted to live. Sometimes it opens their eyes up a little bit to think, okay, well, what if? So where would you be in five years? Oh, that's a great question, and and that's something that I'm, I'm – typically always prepared to answer because I'm a goal setting guy, uh, short term and long term goals. Uh five years out from now where I would like to see myself, I would hope mm-hmm. I would I would have another number one song or maybe be five years from today be standing on a podium accepting the number one award for whoever artist there you, go. you know, recorded at the time. But mm-hmm. I'm in the process now to where even in my artist career, mm-hmm. I don't know if if the whole have a song go to country radio and become a number one song as an artist, you know, would be in in my future, one song could mm-hmm. change all of that. So but yeah. so that, that opportunity is not lost on me at all. But five years from now, you know, I'll probably more be focused on the songwriter and I'm writing with a lot of young artists right now that I see mm-hmm. so much potential in and I've started producing some Uh, And I would love in five years from now to be standing on a podium accepting an award for producing a number Mm -hmm. one song by an artist. Uh, And I I think that would be, you know, just to be a piece of something that turned out to be great, you know, would be awesome. I just see so much talent in these young artists coming to Nashville. And Mm -hmm. I love mentoring and I love connecting writers with artists and other writers with other writers. And uh, and and I just I see I see so much potential in these these folks that 
anything I can do to push their career forward, whether it's mm-hmm. introduce them to managers, whether it's be a manager initially, you know, not a long-term thing, mm-hmm. but to help them yeah. kind of guide them through the minutia that, that, you know, Nashville overall is an amazing place full of amazing people. But there are mm-hmm. also some snakes in the grass where, you know, they'll yeah. try to, you know, you, mm-hmm. there might be a contract that may not be the best kind of contract for you to sign or, they want to help yeah. you because they've got a friend at the record label, but that friend may not actually be with the label. That might be someone in the finance department, not necessarily the one picking <laughs> songs or giving record yeah. deals just so they can get close to these people and try to, you know, kind of do the snaky way. And, and I always think a good mm-hmm. person should be a good person first. Yeah. Uh, and so exactly. if I can, if I can be, you know, a light in their journey to help them not step on the wrong you know, stick, then that, you know, is something that I, I hold dear to myself is helping them, you know, miss those, those, those obstacles. Uh, I was, I thought for a second you were going to say, where do you see yourself? You know, like what's that one goal? If you can make that magic (laughs) one and have one thing happen, uh, I'll, I'll sneak in and ask myself that that question because my answer (laughs) for that, when people ask me, I've always say I would love one day to be inducted in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. That would be awesome. And someone says, well, ha- that, that's a huge honor. How are you going to get to that? And I said, if I write great songs, every time I get the opportunity to write great songs, I will give myself the chance. There's so much that's more exactly. that has to go on for that to happen. But mm-hmm. I would love, you know, whether it's 20 years, 30 years, 40 years from now, you know, th- that would be an honor that would, like, that would live on beyond me you know, to join, yep. you know, that, that elite group of songwriters. And if, and if I don't achieve it, yeah. reaching for it and striving for it will be plenty. That's what matters. But that would be yep. something if you had that little magic wand, you know, from that Dumbledore gives his people, then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love that. And, and we're down to two questions left. Um, but if let's say you had a friend, because I like to get specific, and you kind of gave advice through the whole show, but I'm just want to get a little more, a little specific here. Let's say you had a friend, and this would be pre-COVID advice. But let's say you had a friend and you heard them sing, and let's say that they have, um, they have the it factor. You, they have something special, and you can tell. You just, you just see that potential in them. And let's say they've only played ten or twenty shows, so they they're still just getting their feet wet. But they've gotten on that stage, looked over the crowd, have the crowd cheering for them and their songs so far because um, people love country music. And they got what every artist says they get, that stage bug. And they just feel like they're supposed to do this. And they come to you and they say, Lance, I feel like I am supposed to do this with my life. What advice would you give that specific person to help guide them the next two, three, four years? I would tell them to keep doing what they're doing, and I would try to introduce them to the, the people that I thought would, would help them do it the best way possible, whether it would be uh, performance coaches, uh, whether it would be you know a vocal coach. And a lot of times that's not to change a vocal, that's to protect your vocals uh, because that's yeah. something when you go to – you know, singing writers rounds in Nashville when you're playing three or four songs at a time to where you're playing four hours a night, two or three times a weekend, your your vocal cords take a beating and you have to know how to take care of them. Uh, so there's so yeah. many little things like that. 
uh, I would want to make sure that they've got a band that they love and that the band is the best thing for them. Uh, I would let them know that a manager's a great thing, but you probably can't afford a manager yet. So don't <laughs> worry about that. Just learn how to do the business. When I first started doing the artist thing, someone said, are you going to look for a manager? And I said, not at first. They said, are you going to look for a booking agent? I said, not at first. Are you going to look for <laughs> someone to do a website for you? I said, no. And I, they said, why? And I said, I want to try to do all that myself. So I will at least know the process that way when someone's doing it for me, if something goes wrong, I don't gripe at them because they don't know what they're doing. I will have understood the hard falls and the downfalls and the problems with it to where, Oh, they have this trouble. They can't do it. Okay. Well, that's fine. Work through it, work the problem, find a solution. You're good. I support you. Let's do this. Uh, so there's so much that some artists come to town and they think I'm a great songwriter. I'm a great artist. If I get a great manager, a great booking agent, and a record deal, I'm going to be unstoppable. I'm going to have number ones out the wazoo. <laughs> mm-hmm. But a lot of times, you know, that's not the case. There's so much more development yeah. that needs to go on. But my main thing would be I would want to be one of the good people that surround that artist, and I would want to surround them by more good people, uh, great yeah. writers, you know, great, you know, folks like that. When the time comes, management, PR, you know, booking mm-hmm. and all that. And, and luckily I've, I've built enough relationships to where there's probably not a company in Nashville that I couldn't pick up the phone and call and say, Hey, I've got an artist you need to listen to. And they wouldn't take my call there. You know, even some of the big named people that I don't have those direct personal relationships with. I do have those relationships with people that, that they work with. And so I would be able to say, so-and-so gave me your number, told me to call. And they'd say, okay, I got 15 minutes, bring them by. So, (laughs) and I want to do that eventually. You know, I want to be able to call that record label and say, I've got this artist. (laughs) There's a few publishers in town that have given me that open door. If you hear a writer that you think is incredible, please bring them to us first. We want to hear what they can do. We can sign them to a deal. And I eventually myself want to sign a writer. You know, when I yeah. when I can financially support a writer the way that I want to, I would totally love. There's a few writers in town uh, like mm-hmm. Shane McAnally that have built companies, <laughs> Smack Songs, Ashley Gorley, uh, who built the tape room, uh, so many, uh, Craig Wiseman, who built Big Loud, who are songwriters that became so successful, mm-hmm. they started signing songwriters to their own company. And I would love to be able to, to build something like that, you know, 10, 12, 15 years from now to where I do have four, five, six writers writing for me. I've got several artists that have recorded our songs that maybe I produce mm-hmm. or I've in, introduced them to the person that produces them. Uh, and just mm-hmm. to be a piece of something that, that makes this great thing happen. And early mm-hmm. on in the conversation, you asked about hobbies. <clears throat> and I told you about my flipping houses. Another yeah. one of my goals on that side is I would love to eventually have two or three rent houses, and mm-hmm. I would only rent those out to songwriters coming to Nashville. Oh, that's awesome. I love Coming that. to Nashville. And I would love to be able financially supported myself enough to where if, if rent was $1,000 for that house for a normal person, mm-hmm. I'd say, okay, writer, yeah. I know you don't have a job right now except for that part-time thing where you're serving down at the listening room. Uh, so instead of a thousand dollars, let's do let's do six fifty, seven hundred dollars a room, something like that. Yeah. And by the way, the other roommates that'll be in there will also be creative music people. And the long term <laughs> goal for that is I would love to be at a number one party someday, ten fifteen years from now, where 
they say, hey, how did Rider 1, Rider 2, how did y'all meet? And, well, we were renting this place from Lance, and then this person moved in, and this person's a producer, and this person became the artist. So we all actually met because this rider in town, Lance Carpenter, owned these rental houses that we all rented, and he gave us a break in rent, and we became friends, and we wrote this song, and now it's the biggest song in country music. I just think that would be a really cool way, again, to just connect and to be a piece of something great. That so. that is really, and you know, you made me think about something earlier um, when you said um, before we get to the last question. I wanted to let you know about this, um, but you said something earlier in the show where um, about an artist that you have to, you know, ask them what do you, if you could snap your fingers and do what you want to do right now, what would that be? I had to ask myself because when you said that, I go, like, I wonder what it would. I had to ask myself that one, so I. You know what? To be honest, if I could snap my fingers right now, I'd be a show like Bobby Bones at that level with what we're doing now. I'm I'm in where I want to be. Well, that's incredible. Uh, to, to be doing what you love is is one thing, and that's something with songwriting and being an artist. There's different levels of success, and some people may mm-hmm. think if I never win the a CMA or an ACM or a Grammy mm-hmm. that I'm not successful. But yeah. there's so many levels of success that if you if you ever just sit back and look at your life and you realize, you know, holy crap, I'm happy. You know, that's a level of yeah. success that so many people in any line of work rarely achieve. You mm-hmm. know, they're always worried about the bills or they're worried about, you know, their coworker getting a raise or they're worried about being the boss or the boss, whatever. But if you can just sit back and look at what you're doing and look at your life and the people around you and you're happy, that is, mm-hmm. that is you know, that that's it. You know, everything else is just kind of, you know, the the after prize, the, yep. the, the side effects of what you do. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And again, you know, we're, we're chasing that dream just like an artist because, you know, our show don't make money right now. So we have to do all these side things to stay afloat, just like an artist does. I really think God has us going this route so that on our show we can be relatable because, because you know, there's a lot of people who interview people, but they're in, they, they've got that radio job or they got that other job or they got this income where they, they don't have to worry. So when they talk to this artist who's an independent, they don't see the same thing. We see what independent artists go through because we're going through the exact same pain of trying to chase this crazy dream, but on a different platform. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a situation of anybody in any career can have a dream of where they want to be and Mm -hmm. they can think about that all they want, but there's this word that, that has to happen for that dream to not always become a dream. And that word is called action. And if you don't give you, if you don't give yourself the chance to succeed, you will never succeed. So that's true. By doing these, these calls and by doing these interviews and by moving to Nashville, by writing those songs, you know, depending on what your, your, your thing is, have the dream, set the goals and Mm -hmm. then work your butt off. And set yourself up, give yourself a chance to succeed. I, I gave mm-hmm. this speech when I had my number one. I said, I said, uh, I said, I've always had this dream to be a number one songwriter. So I said, 
hey, y'all out there, <laughs> dreams come true. If you don't have them, get them. <laughs> you know, and then work your butt off to that. make them come true. Because yeah, you're, you're our you're our 103rd interview yes. since January 3rd, and you're our second interview today. So we are doing the work side. We got down. We just got now the God side. Hopefully, props us up as we grow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. I hope those doors open for you. Yep. So well, as we, we get to the last it. question here, um, what is a question? It's the last question. What is a question that you wish hosts like us would ask, but they kind of never do? Wow, that's an awesome question. <laughs> and you've asked so this many good help questions, us get better. Christopher as well. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm trying to think if there's any holes in it. Because, uh, <laughs> see, there's a few questions wow. we've left off, but because the thing has went a little longer than we planned, you know, so sometimes I, I get through all my questions. You know, the way I run the show is mm-hmm. I got a base of questions, and then I let wherever the artist takes me, and we go there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that's great. Uh, I'm I'm definitely on the side of I'm better at answering questions than I am at asking questions. So to be posed a question, <laughs> what what question should have been asked? That that's a good challenge. Uh, <laughs> nothing pops into my head. That's good. Just instantly, I'm sitting. I'm sitting here trying to think if there's mm-hmm. anything. Uh, one see, thing, like, I guess, like one of the, yeah. Uh, I guess one question I've been asked before that I've always liked is, "What's a song you've heard lately that you love, or that you wish you'd written?" And that's as a writer, or that oh, you wish you sang. I uh, like that question. So, so what is oh, it for I you right too. now? Uh, well, of course, I now I've got to answer it. Uh, I'll tell you, there, there's a song out uh, that I, I heard. It's every once in a while you'll hear a song, and instantly you'll know uh, that it's going to be like, "Well, that song's pretty good." You know, it mm-hmm. might, you know, be a top forty mm-hmm. song, or "Oh, yeah. that song." You know, I bet that song makes it up to the twenties, and then you'll hear a song yeah. where you're just like, "Oh my gosh, that song is going to be the next mm-hmm. biggest song." Uh, that's out there And There's two songs that come to mind uh, The first mm-hmm. one was recorded uh, By Eric Church And it was a song That was written by Bobby Pinson And Clint Daniels And it's just one of those songs That I was writing with Clint The day that Eric had recorded it And they got the call mm-hmm. that Eric was not going to be putting it out on the album or as a single. And I mean, Clint was just crushed when we were sitting there in the writer's room at Seagale. And he goes, man, he goes, I had this song on Eric that I wrote with Bobby and it was going to be on his album and it was going to be a big thing. And we just found out that, that it's not happening. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like what in the world? And I said, will you play it for me? And he said, yeah, I'll play it for you. And so he pulls the song out and he plays it for me. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's just that you hear it and you're like, oh, my gosh. They're not put – why are they – I'll cut it. I'll put it out <laughs> on a record right now. And, uh, I've, I've, you know, the the song was some of it. And 
summer. You learn the hard way, summer. You read on a page, summer. Comes with heartbreak, most of it. Comes with it. It's one of them songs, like it was like the feeling was great again. It was so spot on. Every line evicted Mm -hmm. this this feeling in me, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh my gosh, I would put that out right now. And Clint said, I'll send it to you. Go ahead. You know, you have my permission to record. Oh, wow. Well, three days later, he called me back. He goes, hey, we just got a call. Eric changed his mind, or we got the wrong message. It's going to be the single. It's going out. And I'm like, this breaks my heart, but this is my favorite. You cannot cut this song moment ever, because I just knew that song was going to be huge. And it was. uh, And so that was that. And the other one is – a song is a more recent song that I just heard it and mm-hmm. it just made me, it just gave me a great feeling. And the song's called more hearts than mine. And it's by Ingrid, uh, Andrus, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've never met her. Yeah. Uh, I honestly haven't even looked to see who wrote this song, uh, but I guarantee mm-hmm. if I did, it would probably be by people that I admire already. Uh, <laughs> and, I've got, let me see, I've got the phone in front of me, so I might even be able to look it up while we're talking about it. (laughs) But it was just such a, it was just honest. And I felt, Mm -hmm. I felt what everybody was supposed to Mm -hmm. feel in that song. And I just, I was excited when it became a number one song. Uh, Like I said, I don't know the artist. Uh, I'm looking up right now to see if I know the writer. More hearts than mine. Wikipedia, Ingrid, singer-songwriter, discography. Man, I love the internet. It's just quick and easy. Here we go. (laughs) It was written by Derek Sutherland, who I know, Sam Ellis, yep, and Ingrid. Okay. Very (laughs) cool. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Those are two songs, and there's, there's probably been several, but those two songs really stand out recently. Yeah, that that just really was like wow. They they nailed it on those songs. That that's really awesome. So as we end this here, um, tell everybody how they can reach you. Best way is social media. Uh, I I love being on Facebook and Instagram. I'm not on Twitter as much, but if I ever have someone tweet my way, I always try to reply. Uh, <laughs> but but I love to be as as accessible as possible. I've got a website, uh, Lance Carpenter Music that we try to keep updated with things going on uh, for the fans. And then, of course, my music's available on Spotify and Apple Music and all the digital outlets and iTunes, things like that. So uh, for folks that want to listen to some music and, and learn more about me, if they if they heard great again today and they thought, man, that sounded pretty good, what else has he done? Then I've got some more music out that they may enjoy. That is really awesome. And we thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, you never know where the conversation – because, again, we, we like our show to be a conversation, a dialogue between we a do. few people. You know, we don't mm-hmm. want to be interview style or I ask question, you answer. I ask question, you answer. That's boring to me. I want a conversation. I want I want it to be we go back and forth. We both tell stories and stuff, and that's what I try to do. So we never know where the show is going to go. We never know how long it's going to go. I mean, I plug in there. I always plug in there 90 minutes. Believe it or not, we're beyond that. I think you are now our longest interview. I think so. I think new records. Longest and best. I love it now. There there we go. And 
And Absolutely. we look forward to uh, down the road having you back. Absolutely. Yes. Chris and Sandy, thank you all so very much. Oh, oh you thank you for day. your time. We really appreciate it. Yep. All right. Thank you all so much. Thanks. Bye.